Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. See this? This is my boomstick. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Welcome everyone to the Banter Booth, episode 25. And I know I'm a little late with this, but we're going to be breaking down my top 30 films of 2021. I know what you're thinking. It's February. What are you doing? Why didn't you do this in January? Honestly, I thought I was going to do it in January, and then I just kept taking more and more time and more and more time. I wanted to watch a few more films before I made the list. Um, I had a set goal of 100 films in 2021 that I wanted to watch. I only watched 90. Now, that's still a pretty high number, so 90 is still a lot, and I'm breaking down one-third of that. I also wanted to make sure that the list was perfect. Like, this was the final list. This was the list I wanted. This definitively are the movies that I consider the best of the best of the year, in my opinion. Not like, objectively, these are the best films, and if you don't like them, you're wrong. Nothing like that. You can hate my favorite film for all I care. I love I love all these ones. Well, I like 30 to 20, and then I love 20 to, 20 to 1. Love those films. All right, but before we get started on that, I do want to say it's just me today. It's just me in this episode. I hope that's not a big problem. I hope, I mean, I assume you guys are tuning in to listen to my voice sometimes. I mean, I feel like I talk a lot, and I feel like I talk a lot anyways during the podcast. So this is just going to be more of me, and I've only done one episode like this, but I didn't want to bore somebody and just keep talking about my favorite movies of the year, and, it go, and I go on a 40-minute rant, and then they just sit there. It'd be unfair to the guest. Before we get started, though, I am going to do a quick rundown of some news and notes and just other things that are going on. So first and foremost, if you have Amazon Prime, there's a new show out. Alan Richson, who you may know from the Titans TV show on Netflix or the classic, ever so classic, Blue Mountain State. Uh, He played Thad Williams in that. That's my personal favorite of his. He was also the original Aquaman back in Smallville, the Tom Welling, Michael Rosenbaum show. Uh... He has this new show on Amazon Prime called Reacher, which you may recall was also a film series with Tom Cruise. He's no longer involved. Thank God for that. His first movie was great. Second movie, not so much. But I'm just going to leave my opinion on those two things there. The TV show literally just came out on February 4th. It's a good pot-boiling thriller. It's got a great mystery at the center of it. A lot of things about it just work really well, especially Richson's performance as Reacher this time. I mean, now he's this tall huge man who the only fault that the show really has is that he's almost too good at his job he is just too amazing at everything he is never wrong he seemingly knows everything even if it doesn't make sense and a lot of the show really does revolve around um some contrived or coincidental writing like oh this person just coincidentally is here oh that's coincidentally there and all that it's like okay i mean it's lazy writing but it works if you know what the show is going into it, and that is just this very simple, I wouldn't say too simple, but it's not so much trying to be too smart with the mystery or anything like that. I mean, you unravel parts of it. There's some great action scenes. The characters are great, especially Richson's Reacher, as I said. The other cast members are fantastic. The lead captain, Finley, great. Roscoe, amazing i thought the chemistry between roscoe and reacher really worked well uh although i do feel like she gets sidelined in those last three episodes and it's kind of a detriment to the show there is also a moment in the finale that has caused a plot hole in my head that as soon as someone watches it please 
message me on Instagram or Twitter at Zach Crawford or Zach Crawford 3. That's Instagram and Twitter, respectively, because I have a problem with just how that show, just this one thing that happened in the ending. And I get it's the whole Mad Max vibe, you know, person comes in and out of town, solves a problem, then leaves. But there's this one thing that happens right at, the, right in the middle of the finale that just bugs me so much. It, it, it just, when I started thinking about, well, wait a minute, if that happened, which I'm just trying to avoid any spoilers because I don't want to ruin it for anybody. But it's just, if this one thing happens, which it does in the finale, then there should have been more consequences. There should have been more preparation there just should have been more it just didn't make sense the reaction that we got from the enemies from the bad guys because if this one thing was there it just doesn't ah it just caused a plot hole for me and I, I want to discuss it without having to go into spoilers but next week's episode i am going to go more into it especially this one problem but i recommend checking out reacher i give it an 8 out of 10 it's filmed in toronto and pickering i recognized a lot of the spots that they filmed it at um, it's kind of hard to miss, especially if you lived in Toronto or do live in Toronto. Uh, but anyways, yes, 8 out of 10 for me. I highly, re- highly recommend checking it out. Second thing I want to address is this. Chris DeFreitas, he's been on the show twice before. Great guy. He recommended this movie, The Vast of the Night, which is also on Amazon Prime. I finally watched it, Chris, and this message is pretty much for you, my man. I finally watched it. I do think it was great. I thought the cinematography, I honestly thought the score was magnificent as well. But man, oh man, do I wish the movie went further with the alien of it all, you know? Uh, We'll discuss it more next time you're on, my man. But I just wanted to make sure you knew. I I finally watched it. Okay. Now, without further ado, let's get into it. So we're going to start at number 30, and I'm going to do real quick reviews for the bottom 10 here. Not that they're bad or anything. Because if you want to see the full list, you can check out all 90 movies that I have seen in 2021. If you go to Letterboxd, which on the app or the website, and you can find me at ZC slash, sorry, ZC underscore movies, not slash. What was I thinking there? And then it's going to be the list labeled 2021, which I'll make public after this podcast goes to air. So basically when you're listening to it, it's available to look at. You can look at the whole 90. But to start things off at... 30. David Oyelowo's directorial debut, The Waterman. You might remember Oyelowo for his portrayal of Martin Luther King in the movie Selma, directed by Ava DuVernay. This movie's pretty good. It's basically about a little kid who wants to save his mom because she's dying of cancer, and it's a family movie. Uh, Definitely one of the themes of the movie is family and this kid. It's a very heartwarming story about what this kid's willing to go to to try and find a cure for his mom's illness it's great it works it's enjoyable it's only 90 minutes long so it's a brisk paced movie but it's it's just a nice heartwarming movie if you're having a bad day plop it on you can get a sense of adventure you know watch some kids try to find this mythical creature and it, and it works number 29 vacation friends if i've said it once i've said it a million times john cena is an amazing comedy actor between this and blockers i just feel like he needs to do more comedies and, I mean, currently he's on Peacemaker on HBO Max or Crave, and he's killing it there as well. He'll pop up again in this list later on for another movie he did in 2021, but Vacation Friends with John Cena and Little Rel Howery was fantastic. Number 28, The Matrix Resurrections. I won't really go far into this one. I really liked it. I understand it's a divisive film, but it really worked for me. I thought that there was a heart here. And at the end of the day, I thought that's what the movie was kind of about, freeing your heart. It was about love transcending everything. And, th- and this was them being able to leave the Matrix this time and control it this time was less about being able to free their mind but free their hearts. And I kind of liked that. I like that story. Number 27, Tick, Tick, Boom. I would say Andrew Garfield's best performance, but Hacksaw Ridge is still up there for me. Uh, his portrayal as Desmond Doss in that film is his best, in my opinion. But this one, as Jonathan Larson, the writer of Rent, he did an amazing job. He does an amazing job, and there's a lot of moments in there that just stick with you. Um, honestly, I know a moment that I see all the time on TikTok and on various other social media platforms is this, the, the fight song between him and Vanessa Hudgens when he's talking about a disagreement with his girlfriend. 
I just I love that scene and their facial reactions. Um, I do think this is what I actually think Andrew Garfield might walk away with Oscar gold. Uh, we'll see. We'll see, though. Come the Oscar ceremony in March. But uh, he's my pick for sure for the best actor. Unless I change my mind and think Will Smith actually does have more of an outside chance than I was leading myself on to believe. But Andrew Garfield for sure. And we can all relate to this. This is a guy, it's like a quarter-life crisis movie, just finding your way, pursuing your dreams, and keep pursuing your dreams. Because you never know when you'll make it. Number 26, Tom Hanks, Apple TV, Finch. It's a movie about humanity. This one guy, this old man who's dying, he's lost his way, he's lost his humanity, but we get to see how a robot is almost more human than him, and this robot over time throughout the movie just progressively gets more and more human, if not more human, than Tom Hanks' character. Number 25, Army of the Dead. Really, I don't know what else I can say here. It's a movie It takes place in Vegas. Dave Bautista leads it. Oh, it's a stellar cast here. I'm, I quite enjoyed this one. I like zombie movies. This is a zombie heist movie in Vegas, directed by Zack Snyder. It's got some, in my opinion, gorgeous cinematography, the dreamlike vintage quality that Snyder uses on the lens in this. Drew me in, and I'm also a big fan of gore. I don't know if anybody knows that. I really like gore, so... That's a big reason why I like it. I'm also a big fan of zombie movies. And uh, one of my favorite TV shows is The Walking Dead. So that pretty much says all you need to know about me. Number 24, Judas and the Black Messiah. Daniel Kaluuya already won an Oscar for this movie earlier this year at the 2021 Oscars. Um, For good reason. His portrayal as Fred Hampton in this is amazing. Um, My pick, though, would have been for Lakeith Stanfield's performance as Bill O'Neill. Um, really thought he he had really sold the movie for me, but that's not to take away from Kluge's performance because his performance is amazing as well. I just sided more with the Stanfield crowd thinking that I was just glad he got the nomination, but he would have been my pick because I thought what he did there was, for me, the best performance Stanfield has done outside of Sorry to Bother You. If not, I mean, this might have actually been better than that, and I really loved Sorry to Bother You. But Stanfield is going to be somebody who I know this is not going to be the last Oscar nomination for him. This man is an amazing actor. Same with Kaluuya. Uh, Not to mention the rest of the cast. You got Jesse Plemons in there, and he is just killing it. He had another movie this year called The Power of the Dog. Sadly, that does not pop up in my top 30, but he's great in that, although he's only in a very limited role in about the first half of the film and kind of disappears by the other half. Dominic Fishback plays Deborah Johnson. Uh, Fred Hampton's partner in this. Uh, She's great. She's great as well. Pretty much those four, it all works for me in this one. It all works. But moving along, number 23, Zack Snyder's Justice League. Uh, The 2017 movie, what more to say about that one? Oh, it's dog shit. Joss Whedon's a pile of human garbage. Everything that's come out about him and that troubled reshoot production is honestly astonishing. I don't know why people even gave him the time of day to write an article and give him a chance to even address the allegations against him. All it did was hurt his image more, and he doesn't deserve a platform. No, somebody like him does not deserve a platform. That man ruined Zack Snyder's original vision of Justice League. But now you get the full four hours and two minutes. Um, It's an epic, in my opinion. It felt like an epic. It does feel extremely long and of course at four hours that is just bound to happen but i also understand the zack center fanboys affect my enjoyment of a lot of things if you're on film twitter or i don't know i feel like it's pretty hard to miss the zack snyder fanboys they're kind of almost everywhere and they can be so much so much and they can be so fucking annoying every day i go on twitter and i just think shut the fuck up But the problem is, I actually really like this movie, so I don't hate them for liking the movie. I just hate them for other reasons, and that's just for not letting any other filmmaker do anything with the DC franchise because they think Zack Snyder is a god, which, just stop. Please, just stop. But I liked the Justice League here. It clearly improves upon the theatrical release because it's not so butchered and so 
shoddily put together with very questionable CGI and jokes that don't need to really be there. I mean, we get rid of the CGI Superman mustache thing that was in the theatrical cut, thank God. But in this, we get to see Darkseid and more depth for the cyborg character. Actually, reinstalls the heart of the film for me. Putting Cyborg back into it and Ray Fisher's performance. Actually, wow, actually utilizing him and not just thinking he's a bad actor like Joss Whedon did in the theatrical version and cutting him out. Actually utilizing him and then we actually get to see, oh, he's not a bad actor. Joss Whedon's a lying piece of shit. Now I've seen the four-hour cut as Justice League. I know it's... I know what Ray Fisher can do. I know he's great. <clears throat> but I'm glad HBO Max released this. If you want to check it out, go on Crave or HBO Max. I think it's fantastic. Might not be for you, but honestly, it gets a spot on the top 30. Number 21. Sorry, number 22. I was always one step ahead of myself. Daniel Craig's final outing as James Bond. No time to die. Hard to really explain a lot of the things I like about this without getting too far into spoilers, but you know what? I, I will. Spoiler alert right here. I will keep it to just the next 30 seconds. Now, I never thought I would see a movie where James Bond fucking died right at the end. It was insane. I cried. The cinematography was amazing. Craig gives the best performances. Bond, mm, that kind of feels... That feels like too much. He gives an amazing performance as Bond. I don't know if it's better than Casino Royale. Actually, I know it's be I know it's not better than Casino Royale. I don't know what I'm saying. But it works. I like it. Rami Malek feels like he's not in it enough. It's almost a three-hour movie, but it just flies by. Anna de Armas is not in this enough as well. She's criminally underutilized, but my God, is she fantastic. And finally, a movie that doesn't feel like it's trapped in one location and trying to pretend like it's this globe-trotting adventure, which I find a lot of movies are like that these days, where it doesn't feel like it's globe-trotting or it's doing anything with... It doesn't feel like it's doing anything interesting with the settings, but this movie, phenomenal. Phenomenal. All right. Now, number 21, Nobody with Bob Odenkirk. It's got the John Wick feel, and of course it is, written by some of the same people, produced by the same people. It's going to have that feel of John Wick movie. I love the John Wick franchise. All three of those movies, I find, are so close to perfect. Number one is perfect, in my opinion. Number two, a, only a bit of a downgrade from the first one. And then number three, some of the best action ever, but I still don't like that it's a cliffhanger ending. I don't know if the franchise needed to have five movies but we're gonna see when number four and number five come out if they're still just as good if the quality's still amazing then hey i'll eat my words on this later my thoughts on chapter three might change but nobody bob odenkirk christopher lloyd and rza fantastic i mean i loved the ending where we get to see all the almost home alone type traps i, I mean I, I just liked it i mean i like when you get an original action movie that comes out and it's just solid and enjoyable and the action is good i mean the action is very reminiscent of john wick but i'm not going to go keep mentioning that it just works it really works check it out if you have it i think it's on uh believe it's on crave now actually so if you have crave highly recommend checking it out all right top 20 this one number 20 bo burnham's inside might not count it as a movie i do um i just like what he was able to do here he was able to craft this one-hour, 20-minute thing in his apartment, in his house. And he uses all of his own equipment, and he's able to craft so many different beautiful musical numbers just by himself. And it's just the creativity that's on display here. It gives me, somebody who's an aspiring filmmaker, somebody who wants to make a movie, wants to do creative things and videos, just seeing what he's able to accomplish it just woke me it woke me up and motivated me creatively and i really liked this movie for that because it just shows that you can pretty much do anything when you put your mind to it and it also showed an inside look haha <laughs> inside an inside look at sort of what the pandemic is doing to everybody mentally just what's going on inside of them <laughs> it's it's cool and i mean i'm sure when the pandemic's over if it's over 
years from now we can go back look at this and it'll be like a piece of history like i think this is going to be something that stands the test of time and you're always going to be able to go back to it and watch it number 19 they don't make movies like this much anymore but number 19 is cop shop you may not have heard of it it's got alexis louder frank grillo and gerard butler frank grillo plays a con artist gerard butler plays a hitman and alexis louder plays a cop a deputy the whole thing takes place in one location takes place in a cop shop outside of the first five minutes where they're chasing people down and in the middle of the desert everything takes place here and it's going to be about good versus bad but then the morally gray area who do you trust how do you trust them uh when when the shit hits the fan in this movie the main character the deputy has to make a choice and it's going to be about picking the lesser of two evils. Does she trust Frank Grillo's character or does she trust Gerard Butler's? Won't go too far into that because I think everyone should check it out. It's my guiltiest pleasure movie of the year. And I can plop it on. It's about 90, 90, 90 to 100 minutes. It's not much of a commitment, but it's just so much fun. And it's great action. And I just find it's a, per- I find it's a perfect movie to put on if you're just looking for, yeah, if you're just looking for some good action. I don't know. Uh, even the director, Joe Carnahan, I think he does a great job at making action movies. He's one of the only action directors today that I find where whenever he makes a movie, I'm going to check it out because I'm going to like it. Even his other movie he made this year, Boss Level, was decent. And that had Frank Grillo in it as well. The only issue was Mel Gibson, really. All right. Number 18. The title match of the century. Who is the king of the monsters? Godzilla versus Kong. Uh... Fun fact about me, one of my favorite movies is King Kong. The 2005 version, by the way. Um, I love that three hours and 30 minute movie, but I also love all the King Kong iterations. So the 1933 one in black and white, I find that that's an astonishing piece of filmmaking. And it was looked at as a horror movie back in the day. And I, and I have it on Blu-ray and I like rewatching it once a year because the way that they filmed those scenes, the special effects back in the day, I find those are so that's so fascinating to watch. Um, and now you take a look at that 1933, you go to the 2005 one, and such an improvement, and then you go to this one. Huge improvement, and now he's fighting Godzilla. Just absolutely nuts. Literally, this movie, say what you will about the humans, and honestly, yes, I get it. The humans are a waste of space most of the time, if not all the time. And in this, yes, the humans are the weakest part of this movie, but my God, did the monster action deliver. And for that alone, as a fan, as just somebody that wants to see Godzilla take on King Kong, I want to see my boy Kong lose to Godzilla. As much as I wanted to see these things, it delivered. It delivered in spades. It was amazing. So for that, my fanboy heart put Godzilla versus Kong at number 18. All right, moving on, though. Number 17. Val. Val is about the actor Val Kilmer, as you may know him from Batman and Robin or Tombstone. Sorry, not Batman and Robin. Oh, caught myself. Batman Forever. He replaced Michael Keaton for the third movie directed by Joel Schumacher. Uh, But I'm not going to just say Batman Forever because that'd be horrible. He doesn't like that. He doesn't like doing the Batman movies. He did not like his time there. Tombstone would be way more recognizable for Val Kilmer and he is amazing in that movie as well in this you get to see him chronicle his life and the movie's narrated by his son Jack Kilmer you see him break down lessons he learned throughout his life movies he was in and it's touching it's inspiring and we get to see what happened to him when he got diagnosed with throat cancer and he lost his voice and his dream of making a Mark Twain movie kind of escaped. He had spent his final years before getting diagnosed with throat cancer wanting to do this Mark Twain film, but he was and he was financing it by doing a road show play, a one-man show. And in the end, it's just this movie where, where we're looking at life and making the most of the life and opportunities that you have. And it's beautiful beautiful documentary and I I had to include it in my top 30 it was phenomenal all right moving along 
Number 16, Vicious Fun. You can find this one on Shudder. I'm not sure how many of you have that, but it's so... This movie is worth your time. It is amazing. It's funny. It's fun, but it's gory. It has some horror elements, but not too much. And it's got a Carpenter sort of Halloween vibe. It's very 80s. And it's got this... It, it, the ominous music, the score that's that's used throughout it. It's synthy. It's great. And I just... it pulls you right in the movie ah there's so much I want to say about it the story for starters is about a horror film journalist overcoming his insecurities and finding out how to, tr- how to truly woo someone you know how to properly act around a girl act less creepy and it's it's a good lesson about you know you can't trick someone into loving you or wanting to be with you uh, but inadvertently he gets drunk and this guy who his roommate is seeing turns out to be a serial killer and he passes out in the bar and when he wakes up there's a serial killer anonymous group going on so he stumbled upon this insane situation that he's now surrounded by serial killers and now well about halfway through now they're out to kill him because they figure out he's not a serial killer and now he knows all their secrets so now they're out to get him and it's a fun time it's insanely gory there's so many good kills it's (laughs) I, re- I just highly recommend this one. Highly recommend checking this out. All right, here we go. We're halfway there, everybody. Number 15. We're halfway there, and it's about 25 minutes into this. Here I am thinking I wasn't going to talk so much. All right, number 15. Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Marvel movie. Simu Liu, Tony Leung. Deliver. They deliver. Aquafina delivers in this. I honestly, I, the whole cast delivers. I didn't think I would like this movie that much. I thought it was going to be a throwaway Marvel movie. I thought maybe the CGI was going to be a detriment to it. And it kind of is. The CGI, especially in the bus scene, is god-awful. But it doesn't distract you enough away from the movie. I think the movie still works insanely well, telling this tragic story about a father and a son. And the father thinking he's doing the right thing but he's actually disillusioned he's being radicalized he's he's a thousand years old but he he lets these voices get into his head because he lost the love of his life and the movie could really be about the mandarins you could do a whole movie about the mandarins fall here the tragic figure that that they paint the mandarin to be which totally redeems the character from the portrayal of trevor slattery in iron man 3 which one of my favorite details about Shang-Chi was bringing back Slattery because he was one of my favorite parts about this. Ben Kingsley, it was great to have you back. I I, I just loved it. <clears throat> Number 14, The Card Counter. Might not have heard of this one. It's a Paul Schrader film. He directed it, wrote it. It's much like his other films. If you've seen The First Reformed or Taxi Driver, Uh, It's a lot like those films. This one, Oscar Isaac plays a man named William Tell. He wants to play cards, but he runs into a young man named Kirk. He's angry, and he wants to execute this plan of revenge on a military colonel that did him wrong. Uh, Oscar Isaac's character tries to guide him, take him away from that, because he understands the... He understands how much the sins of his past can affect something, and doing something dark can leave such a traumatic mark on your life. This movie is much about the atonement of sin of those sins of the past, and him atoning for things he did in the past. And it's also us figuring out maybe what did he do? What what makes him want to disappear into the background? What keeps him going from town to town, motel to motel? What what secrets are this man hiding? And when you find out what they are, it's a great reveal. I mean, not great. It's insanely dark in the movie. Fucking the way it's shot, the the um, the camera angle they use, this 360 almost look where you you can't look away at the horrors you're witnessing. When you find out what he did in his past, that makes him the person that he is, and he wants to stop the kid, this kid he sees, from going down the same path. It's a wonderfully told story with an amazing performance from Oscar Isaac who I think is so, so underlooked right now in this uh, in this awards conversation. And uh, it sucks. It really does. 
because I think he should be in it a bit more, but I understand there's so many performances this year. Some are going to get overlooked, and it's just what it is. It's it's just what it is. But I recommend checking out the card counter if you ever get the chance. Number 13, Mass. I'm not going to reveal much about this movie because it's great going into this not knowing a lot of the details and listening to the conversation that takes place throughout this. And that's all this movie is. It's a conversation between four people, two couples, whose lives are insanely infected, affected by one tragic event, but they both have different perspectives on that event. It's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful story. It's wonderfully written. And it's just this, it's very much like a play. It's just these four people at a table talking to one another for 90 minutes and you don't think it would work but I'm telling you it it does they they meet at this church and it's like a therapeutic moment for those four people and Dowd gives hands down the best supporting actress performance of the year and the shittiest part about that is she's not even going to get nominated come Oscar nomination morning on February 8th and that's a shame because she should be nominated she did an amazing performance in this. <clears throat> the The whole cast, too. Jason Isaacs, Martha Plimpton, um, and I'm spacing on the fourth man's name. R- Red or Reed or something, doesn't matter. All four of them deserve an ensemble award. This movie is what proves there needs to be an ensemble award at the Oscars, something that applauds the sheer amazingness of the entire cast all around. Kind of like how SAG has the Best Ensemble Award. There needs to be something like that at the Oscars as well. Because this movie proves that. Number 12. The Tragedy of Macbeth. Denzel Washington killing it as always. I'm a big Shakespeare fan. If you don't know the story of Macbeth or the Scottish play, it's basically about this man, Macbeth, who receives a prophecy from a trio of witches and the, tr- the prophecy is that one day he will become king of Scotland. Soon he becomes consumed by the ambition and spurred into action by his wife. And he, end up, and he ends up murdering the king and taking the throne for himself. What comes after is this tragic fall of him who, be- as he becomes racked with guilt and just increasingly makes more and more, not necessarily stupid decisions, but rash decisions and ones that are purely detrimental to his reign on the throne. I recommend checking this one out. It's on Apple TV+. Plus. It's directed by Joel Cohen. It has some of the best... Well, no, it has the best set design of the entire year. Gotta say that one hands down. Um, it's between this and another movie that'll pop up a little later. But... I just want to say this movie, this cinemato- the cinematography too, they film it four by three and the, the whole movie, you're consumed, you're looking at it, it's black and white, it gives it a classical movie feeling, even the sets give it this classic vibe all around, like you know they're on a stage, but I mean that's because the movie is, the movie's based on a play and it's it's great that they gave it this stage feeling while also still feeling very cinematic with some of the most beautiful shots of the year that that just ooze off the screen with oh with with emotion and mood and even the score the score of this movie phenomenal there's there's just this felt like th- this this movie felt like a movie that was just hitting on all cylinders nothing was nothing was wrong with it everybody in the crew working at the top of their level from lighting grips fucking oh my god audio people I'm trying not to simplify it too much, but then also trying not to dumb it down. Oh, I'm all over the place. I think this movie's amazing. I think it was one of I think it was one of the most perfect movies of the year. And that's high praise. That's high praise. High praise because there's still twelve movies past this one. <clears throat> and coming in at number eleven, the Mitchells versus the machines perfect family movie perfect family movie if you like chris miller and phil lord they directed or produced for that matter you know clone high cloudy with a chance of meatballs spider-man into the spider-verse the lego movie 
21 and 22 Jump Street. I'm starting to think these guys actually can't do any wrong. They have a new show on Apple TV Plus as well called The After Party that I have to check out because so far these guys have all hits, no misses. And The Mitchells versus The Machines is no exception. It's a beautifully told story about this family and the relationship between father and daughter. I highly recommend checking it out. It's on Netflix. It's animated. Should win the best animated feature of the year. We'll see, though. All right. Here it is. The time has come. The top 10. We're 30 minutes into this now, so I've taken up a lot of time. But we're finally here, and I'm going to go as in-depth as I can with a lot of these. Coming in at number 10 to kick off the top 10, I have The Green Knight, directed by David Lowry. He's one of the most one of the best visual directors working today. Dev Patel leads this cast with Alicia Vikander, Joel Edgerton, and Sean Harris. Uh, Barry Keegan also makes a, a, a brief appearance in this as a thief. But anyways, Dev Patel plays Sir Gawain, King Arthur's reckless and headstrong nephew. Um, but this is an, an, an epic fantasy, but told on this beautifully small scale of just honor that's what the whole movie is kind of about it's it's exploring it's pondering questions about honor what it is to be honorable fate temptation and humanity um a lot of events in this is it fate that he came across this is it or is it workings of his witch mother who is trying to make his life better make give, give him great stories but is he too obsessed with glory is he too obsessed with these things that he's that he's less of an honorable man he's not He's not a very good person. He continuously throughout gets gets more and more chances to prove his honorability, but time and time again he he fails these honorable challenges and that's the crux of the movie. The crux of the movie when he encounters the green knight. The green knight comes up to him and is like lay one blow on me and one year hence I will return the favor. So whatever you do to him, he will do to you one year later. And Sir Gawain's not really thinking about, oh, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter, I'm just going to go with it, I'm just going to do whatever I want. And he cuts his head off. Green Knight stands back up, grabs his head, puts it back on, and goes, one year hence. It's chilling. And it's insane, because then he gets to live out his next year with all these riches and royalty, but then that year comes up. He has to make the trip to the Green Knight. And throughout his journey, he gets chances to redeem himself, to be honorable, over and over again. His last chance is whether or not he steals a canoe or just walks the rest of the way. And he, and he, we're begging him as an audience, don't do this. Don't do it. You, Like, I kept thinking throughout, I think he's being given all these opportunities because it's what's going to save him. If he proves he's honorable along the way, then the Green Knight's going to be honorable towards him to teach him a lesson. The Green Knight is better than you. He's just going to cut you on the cheek or something and say, go on. Like, I'm more honorable than you, and I hope this teaches you a lesson. But the film ends a lot more ambiguously than that, and the cowardice at display here of Dev Patel's character throughout is just, it's it surprises you because you want to give him the benefit of the doubt. You want to hope that he's going to get better, that he's going to do the right thing, and he constantly disappoints you. One of my favorite lines in this movie is is from Alicia Vikander's character. Why greatness isn't goodness enough. And that struck a chord with me. He's so fixated on being the best, being better than everybody else, that he's missing out on all these other facets of his life. He's missing out on the people of his life, the love of his life. They could have a good life. It doesn't have to be great. It can be great by just having people around you that love you and all that. But he's so obsessed with having a story. He's so obsessed with royalty and riches and all these things that it clouds its judgment. And it makes him not an honorable person. One more thing I want to talk about for this movie is the cinematography. I think it's fantastic. There's a moment where we see the fear in Sir Gawain's mind. Without a word being spoken, we can see exactly why he's so afraid of dying when he's tied up by a tree the camera spans all the way around 360 
And then when we go back to Sir Gawain tied at the tree, he's just skull and bones. And it perfectly conveys the fear that's going through his mind. And it's a great opportunity for the film to show us and not tell us everything. Make us an active participant in the story. It's wonderfully done. And it's one of the best movies of the year. And I highly recommend checking it out. The fact that it's not higher on the list is insane. But when you see the rest of the list, hopefully you'll understand. Maybe not. There's a couple. Maybe there's some questionable ones in here. But I love everything I've got. Moving on. Number nine. The Suicide Squad. I hated the 2016 David Ayer directed Suicide Squad movie. Hated it. But then they hired James Gunn, the director of Guardians of the Galaxy, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, to do this one. And it could have gone either way. It could have been shit. But then you hear it's rated R and James Gunn just lets loose and he brings you one of the best movies of the year. It's funny. It's solid. The characters, all of them are great. You get introduced to so many obscure people like Polka Dot Man, played wonderfully by David Desmalchian. You get Ratcatcher, too, who's played wonderfully by Daniela Melcher. I hope I pronounced that name correctly. It probably didn't, and I'm sorry. Bloodsport by Idris Elba. John Cena as Peacemaker. Sylvester Stallone and Steve Agee as Killer Shark. It's amazing. It's insane. And the first 10 minutes are fucking bonkers. There's so much fucking gore in this movie. There's so much swearing. It's, it takes what the 2016 Suicide Squad should have been and delivers it in spades in this one. And it's the reason why James Gunn got to make a Peacemaker TV show set after this movie. It's phenomenal. The only thing I wish didn't happen in this movie, and it just comes from my personal attachment to things, is I wish, spoiler alert, Rick Flagg didn't die. But he had to to convey the message of the film, or at least one of the many messages of the film. So I won't say it was the definitive message, but the message of the government, the United States using people, using soldiers, hiding secrets, fucking people over and all that. And it's the, the, the juxtaposition of Rick Flagg as what America should be and Peacemaker as what America is. And they fight at the end, trying to do the right... Rick Flagg wants to do the right thing. John Cena's like, no, it has to stay hidden because it'll do more harm than good if it gets out. And Rick Flagg dies for believing in the world being a good place. And there's even a poignant moment at the end with Starro, how he just says he was happy just floating among the stars. That hits. That hits because of everything else we've witnessed on how the U.S., well, the world exploits things. And and it's about how we treat things as things. We treat people like things to be used, aliens to be exploited, and we're not just leaving things alone, leaving things just how they should be, leaving the environment how it should be, leaving the countries to deal with their deal with things themselves. Like there's a res- resistance trying to overthrow the government because it's a, a dictatorship down there. And it's I don't know. There's just there's layers here that I'm probably missing because I'm just going off the top of my head. And, and I apologize if any of that sounded stupid. I was just trying to convey how I remember feeling and how I know this movie is presenting itself. I think it's a wonderful war movie with some anti-war vibes and themes to it and anti-government themes and uh, themes of themes of just what the world should be versus what it is. I think to me that's the biggest thing about the movie, what the world should be versus what it is, the cold hard truth. But overall, number nine, The Suicide Squad. It's a good movie. I liked it a lot. Loved it. All right, number eight, Ryan Reynolds, Free Guy. What's not to love here? I mean, Ryan Reynolds plays a guy named Free. Sorry, he plays a guy. <laughs> Ryan Reynolds plays a guy named Guy. It's it's quite hard not to adore this movie. It's just simply one of the year's best. Reynolds gives a delightful performance. Um, and it's a it's a vibe, not a vibe, but it's a story very much like the Lego movie, The Matrix, where they live, uh, breaking free from breaking free from the chains or the or the strings, the, the puppet strings, you know, figuring out that there's so much more to life, leveling up, becoming your own person, putting on the sunglasses and seeing the world for what it is, kind of like Truman Show as well. I mean, I mentioned all those other movies. Truman Show does that as well. You know, it's an ordinary guy realizing he's a part of something bigger. His attitude towards everything 
is something to, be to behold as well. He's like Ted Lasso in a way. He's just a nice guy. He's a good person. He brings positivity around. And he's experiencing so many things for the first time. And it's so delightful to see that. It's contagious. Fuck. It's, it's a, it has an insanely huge heart. There's even a love story aspect between uh, Guy and Millie and Keys and Millie, which I think works exceptionally well. Uh, Joe Keery and Jodie Comer are in this. They're fucking phenomenal. Sean Levy directed this. I think it's great. The only thing, the only problem I have with it is that it relies too heavily on uh, IP at the end when it seemed like the movie was doing a takedown on those those sort of things. You know, a takedown on, oh, everything's a sequel, everything's a prequel, everything's this. No one makes anything original anymore. And the movie was original until the very end when they pull out a lightsaber, a Fortnite pickaxe, and then a fucking Captain America shield and Hulk arm. And it's like, it works. It's cool. As a fan, I loved it, but takes away from what the movie was saying. That's for sure. All right, moving along. Number seven, Bad Trip. Hidden camera comedy. Eric Andre, Little Rel Howery. Um, I love stuff like this. I like Jackass. I like Impractical Jokers. So this movie works really well. And it takes that concept to a whole nother level, giving you a whole movie with a narrative that's strung together through these pranks that they pull on people. And there's one prank in particular that is the reason why this is in the top seven. It's the gorilla scene. If you've seen the movie, you know what I mean. That gorilla scene really is what sold me on that movie. It's the hardest I laughed at a movie all year. It's amazing. It was amazing. And I recommend checking it out. It's on Netflix. Give it a shot. If you don't, well, that's a shame. And I don't like you anymore. Sorry, that's just the way it is. Number six, Red Rocket. I never thought I would say or come to a time in my life where George from Scary Movie 3 would be one of the best actors of the fucking year. And yet here I am, about to tell you how Simon Rex, Dirt Nasty, that's his singer-rapper name, gave the second best performance of the fucking year. And it's, and quite honestly, it's amazing. It's Sean Baker directed this. You might know him from Florida Project or Tangerine. This is a beautiful movie. It's a human movie. And it's, if you've seen a Baker film, that's always what it is. It's also the settings take, are huge, huge mm, thematic elements. They're characters in and of itself in his movies, especially in this one. Mikey Saber, that's Simon Rex's character name in this one. He's an opportunist. And in the background of a lot of, this, uh, a lot of the scenes, you see factories, you see oil rigs and whatnot, just corporations making insane money off this poor land. Everyone in this is poor, and yet you see all these factories and all this making insane amount of money all around them, and yet these people are still poor. And that's what Mikey is. He's an opportunist. He's an energy vampire. He didn't make it, but now he's looking for his second chance. You want to give him the benefit of the doubt that he's going to redeem himself. He's a failed porn star who left L.A. and he's come back home to Texas City. And you think he's going to try and make himself better, reconnect with his ex-wife. But Mikey, he's just one of those people. I think we all know people like this. He's not somebody that's going to change. He's just somebody that's going to continue to manipulate people. He's going to continue to find ways to get, his, get, get himself back to L.A. And he finds his way through a 17-year-old girl who he might be able to convince to do porn with him. And that's his way back in. This man's 40. He sees a 17-year-old girl that he might be able to exploit and bring with him back to L.A. to restart his career, restart his life there. Because that's what he wants. He's an opportunist. He's not a good person. But my God, does Simon Rex make Mikey Saber amazing to watch. The charisma that Rex gives off makes you want to think that Saber is not a bad person. He is, but you continuously want to give him the benefit of the doubt. Number five, top five. Wow, we, we are here. Uh, and we are here 40 minutes in? Feels like I've been going on forever. Spider-Man No Way Home. What else is there to say here? It's nostalgia. Member berries. But as a fan, I fucking loved it. The theatrical experience was amazing. I've gone off on two different podcasts about this movie. So if you don't know my thoughts, I would suggest checking those out. I did one with Jordan Fiddler, and I did one with Mike Bannock. I mean, both talked at length about this movie. But this is the, the completion of 
Tom Holland's Peter Parker's Spider-Man character arc. We get to see him at the end fully become Spider-Man. And I'm, I'm not even going to bother with spoilers anymore. I feel like this is the biggest movie in the world. Y'all know what happened. Andrew Garfield, Tobey Maguire, they're back. You get to have your fanboy dreams come true. And it's amazing. And it's great to see everybody. And it's, it felt like a love letter to Spider-Man. felt like a love letter to fans. And it's just a wild ride. And it was so great to be on with a great story about responsibility and also like, well, yeah, responsibility, owning up to your actions, fixing these villains, not killing them, not sending them back, but doing something because it's the right thing to do. That's what Spider-Man is. This movie perfectly conveys it. And we get to see three generations of Spider-Man. We get to see Willem Dafoe come back as Green Goblin, Alfred Molina as Doc Ock, Jimmy Fox as Electro, Thomas Hayden Church as Sandman, and Reese Ifans as Lizard. It's, it feels like a fever dream the more I talk about it or the more I... I can't, still can't even believe the movie exists, to be completely honest. Every time I think about it, I'm like, man, they, they, they pulled it off. They pulled it off and it works. And it's actually really amazing. So uh, props. Props to them. Number four. That's right. The four movies I think are better than Spider-Man. Number four is Our Friend with Casey Affleck, Dakota Johnson, and Jason Segel. Jason Segel doesn't do a lot of things. I love him as Marshall from How I Met Your Mother, Dakota Johnson, you may remember her from the Fifty Shades of Grey franchise, and Casey Affleck, you may know as Ben Affleck's younger brother. He also won Best Actor for Manchester by the Sea, but he's Ben's little brother, so that's all I'll refer to him as. This is a tearjerker of a film. It's about Dakota Johnson's character coming down with cancer. It's based on a true story. Um, and it's about friendship. Jason Segel is not the husband to Dakota Johnson's character. That's Casey Affleck. But Jason Segel, as a friend, he's they're both of their best friends, and he drops his entire life to come there and help them. And he spends two years with them, helping them with everything, and just shows you just how good of a friend he is how good of a friend you can be too if you just maybe did the same things that made the same choices that he did i mean everyone's it's possible for everybody to be a friend like this it's the ultimate selfless act the ultimate show of friendship and the movie is saying to us the audience being like jason siegel's character is a choice we can all choose to be someone like that we shouldn't wish for a friend like him we should be a friend like him and what he does for that family to help them through that dark time it's beautiful and i'm not ashamed to say i cried during pretty much the entire last hour of that film so it kind of is what it is i uh but i cry a lot so as you'll see with the number one movie of the year my number one choice i ball at that i've watched it like six times and i still cry but uh top three What are the top three best movies of the year? Coming in at number three, The Harder They Fall. This is pretty much like Django Unchained, except if it was actually directed by a black director. This time, this is directed by, and I hope I'm not going to screw up the name, but if I I do, I, I apologize. It's James Samuel, but it's spelled a little differently, so I wasn't sure if, um, if that was correct. This movie is about revenge. You get outlaw Nat Love. He's saddling back up. He's forming his gang. And he's going to take down Rufus Buck. A, re- a ruthless crime boss who has just sprung from prison. And the man that murdered his father. It's got some twists. But my God, does it have the gore. It's got an amazing cast ensemble of characters. This is just like Mass, where I feel like if there was an ensemble award at the Oscars, this movie would be nominated. Mass would be nominated. But this movie for sure, because it is insanely stacked. I mean, Jonathan Majors, Idris Elba, Regina King, Zazie Beetz, Delroy Lindo, the man who was robbed of an Oscar nomination not too long ago, Lakeith Stanfield, R.J. Seiler, Dion Cole, Damon Waynes Jr., and so fucking many more. It's insane. It's on fucking Netflix. It's two hours and 20 minutes. It's great. It's a black western. It shows you a different sides 
it shows you a different side of the West, and especially for the for the black culture back in that day. You know that not all slaves. There were some of them were badass fucking cowboys or badass sheriffs of towns. And it gets to show you that this other side that we're not used to seeing. And I think it's great to see that, get to see that perspective. It's amazing, phenomenal movie. Highly recommend checking it out. Number two, Dune. Originally, I had this much lower on my list because it's first watch. I was like, it's great, but uh, because it's a part one type deal, I need to see more story because this one ends on, it, it just ends in the middle of the story. You know there's a part two coming. And so it's so hard to say, well, is it that great even though it's only half of a story? I'm here to tell you that, yes, it is. It is that good of a story even if it's only telling you half. For those of you who don't know the story of Dune, if you haven't seen the movie, you can check it out on Crave or um, buy it on Blu-ray now. Yeah, it's it's out on Blu-ray. Buy it on Blu-ray. But this is a movie, fear, destiny, politics, power, control of the galaxy. But this movie is about Paul Atreides, played by Timothy Chalamet. He's a, a young a young man, son of Duke Leto Atreides, his father, uh, and Lady Jessica, who's a part of the Bene Gesserit, who is like basically like Jedi, if I want to like simplify it for you. They have the power of the voice. She's teaching Paul the power of the voice, which makes him uh, a, a gifted young man. There's also this... Philo- uh, philosophy not philosophy there's this prophecy of a messiah type figure and everyone thinks it's paul and uh, i haven't read the book i don't i never saw the original movie but i don't think paul is the messiah but i think that motherfucker is totally gonna fucking exploit people's knowledge of the messiah and be like oh yeah i'm the messiah i'm the messiah you can trust me and he's gonna use that to his advantage but that's for the next movie but this one this is about the planet Arrakis. The Atreides family comes there, and they are immediately betrayed. The Emperor gives them Arrakis, and then the Harkonnens and the Emperor team up out of jealousy and power, because House Atreides was getting too powerful. They take them out. Pretty much leave them to be killed off, and Paul and his mom get away, and they have to survive. And on this new world, Arrakis, the sand planet, and the reason why Arrakis is so important is because it's the only planet in this universe in this Dune movie that has the the spice melange, which is creates. It's basically what makes interstellar travel possible in this universe. It helps people travel the stars. It also has an effect on you for prolonging life and enhancing abilities, giving you visions. Um, oh, I don't I don't know about the giving of visions, but definitely enhancing. It has life benefits as well. I'm just, my mind, I think, is just tired now. And it also gives you blue eyes, which is pretty cool. The movie does a great job at building this world. Hans Zimmer should win the score award at the Oscar, best score, because this is the best fucking score of the year. It's amazing. Denny Villeneuve directs the shit out of this. He first Fourier into big budget action movies but he knocks it out of the fucking park giving us the part first part to an epic epic franchise which i'm excited to see more of it lays the groundwork perfectly set design is impeccable cinematography is beautiful greg frazier was the cinematographer in this and he knocks it out of the park um there's not much to hate on a technical level this is one of the best technically made movies of the year and it doesn't seem like it was that focused on the characters or the people that inhabit this movie, but the story at play and the plot that's happening, it it's it makes sense if you're really grasping it, if you're really understanding what's going on here, which is this complex story a la like Game of Thrones almost when it comes to like politics and betrayal and whatnot, except it's in space. Um, and I'm not, not, and by the way, I don't want that comment to be misconstrued that I'm shitting on any of the characters. I think all the characters are amazing. I just think this is part one to a story, so some of them don't get fleshed out as much. So that's the only reason why I'm saying, oh, well, we have to wait till the next movie probably to find out more about certain characters or see more of certain characters. Because this movie was more about setting up the world. So the next movie is going to be more, you know, more action, more character stuff. I'm excited. I think Dune is amazing. 
I, I just, Dune is a fucking phenomenal movie. 10 out of 10. 10 out of 10. And the only other movie to get a 10 out of 10 is my number one pick. Pig. This is a Nicolas Cage movie. Um, might not expect this from Nicolas Cage, but he gave the my favorite Cage performance I've ever seen. Um, I've seen Leaving Las Vegas. I've seen The Family Man. I think those are great performances. But Oh, and Raising Arizona. Don't want to forget that one. But I think this is the best Cage has ever been. I think this is him utilizing everything he's learned in his career, and he's giving us this amazing contained performance. He's not screaming. He's not going buck wild. But we're getting this this contained look at a man who's suffering from grief. A man who lost his wife and then seclu- uh, sequestered himself from society. And it's... I don't want to say beautiful again, but it, it is beautiful. It's a beautiful portrayal this movie gives of this man, Robin Feld, this former chef in Portland dealing with loss dealing with this grief you know he's returning his his pig the titular pig gets kidnapped within the first 10 minutes and he's forced to come back to a world he was once so important and such a big part of you know he was one of the best chefs in portland and he comes back to this world but all this stuff didn't really matter to him that wasn't who he was and in this world you don't get a lot of things to really care about that's something that Nicolas Cage's character says. It's kind of well, probably the, one of the best scenes in the entire movie when he has basically gives his chef friend who he goes to visit uh, an existential crisis moment where he, he's just like, this isn't who you are. This isn't what you wanted to do. 15 years ago, you wanted to do something else. you got to stop doing things for them. They don't know you. They don't care about you. They don't know who you are because you haven't showed them. And think about that with the... Think about that with your own life being you being authentic you don't have much time on this earth and that's what this movie is getting at you got to do things you care about you got to do things that are worth your time not trying to be fake not trying to put up an image of yourself that's not true uh and nicholas cage's character of robin feld may he might be pessimistic at times but he's insightful too he has a lot of information and a lot of wisdom that could be bestowed especially to Alex Wolf's character <clears throat> who is dealing with some similar similar grief and loss with his own mother same with his father who's also dealing with the loss of his mother uh, well his wife it's a really good movie I, I cry every time I get to the end of it I can't implore you enough to watch this it's 90 minutes it's phenomenal it's phenomenal. And Nicolas Cage has never been bigger, has never been better. Has never been better. The score is perfect too. This is my if I were nominating the Oscar, Pig would have a score nomination at least. It wouldn't beat Dune, but it would have a fucking score nomination. But sadly, that's not going to happen. I feel like Dune is not really in the awards conversation, but it is the best fucking movie of the fucking year, and everyone should fucking see it because that's how much it's. That, that's just how freaking good it is. That's just how fucking good it is. Is that I, I, I've, I, every chance I've gotten to show people this, I have made them sit down and watch this. My friends, my family, I've been like, nope, sit down. We, we, I gotta show you Pig because Pig is amazing, and I've been talking about Pig all year long because. I like movies that, that that talk about letting go and deal with grief and all that. I, I can relate to that. I feel like we can all relate to those themes and relate to that story and see a bit of ourselves in this man who abandoned society for 15 years to go live off the land and just be by himself because he was content with that life. But he was running away from his problems too and he was running away from that grief. But he stopped trying to pretend to be something that he's not. And he got away from that life that wasn't for him anymore if he didn't have his if he didn't have his wife that was the only thing he cared about he didn't care about his his life his restaurant and all that not as much as he cared about his wife the person in his life the love of his life and that's wonderfully done as well to portray that love without ever actually seeing her on screen but we do get to hear her once when she delivers a beautiful beautiful rendition of i'm on fire by bruce springsteen 
that perfectly ended the movie with an amazing shot of Nicolas Cage sitting on a bed, looking up and the light shining down on his face, almost as if he's looking up at his wife. And this is his moment. He's breaking down and he's listening to this tape. And it's... The movie ends, but he's finally moving on, letting go. Uh, I also like movies that are very meditative in its mood and pace, and this movie very much is like that. Um, it's You can just chill out and watch it and relax, but also critically think throughout about what's going on and the morality things that are being presented to you. It's just... Uh, I could go on and on about this, but I know that we're now an hour and 10 minutes into this podcast and I want to let you all go. But Pig, any of these movies, all of these movies, if any of them I've described during this list has interested you, I implore you to find them. I tried to say what streaming services some of them were on. I hope that helps. A lot of them, of course, you can probably find on Blu-ray. Um... Yeah, def- def- I think most of them are on Blu-ray for sure, except for The Tragedy of Macbeth. That's definitely streaming only. Same with Bad Trip. <clears throat> Our Friend you can find on Amazon Prime as well. Uh, Red Rocket, that's the only one you can't find anywhere at the moment. That one's only in theaters. Um, so if you're lucky enough to be able to check that one out, I recommend it. But it's not a movie for everybody, so I understand. Maybe be a little hesitant, wait till it's on Blu-ray or wait till it's on a streaming site a la Netflix or something. But any of these movies in this top 30, I highly recommend checking it out. I also recommend finding me on Letterboxd to see the full list of all 90 movies I saw in 2021. You can find me there at ZC underscore movies. And as always, you can find me on social media at Zach Crawford with two A's on Instagram, at the Banter Booth Podcast as well, and on Twitter at Zach Crawford 3. Uh, as always, I love doing this podcast for you guys. I love talking about movies, and I loved this episode where I just got to talk for an hour about some of the best movies of the year. And I, I, I probably could have gone longer, but every so often I, I found myself rambling and I, and I cut myself short because it was so much, so much stuff to get through. But it's, I implore you to seek out these films. Any of these films that I described or talked about, and you're interested in them now, I'm glad. I'm glad you've you've discovered them through this podcast, and I'm glad you're listening as well whether it be on Spotify, Apple, or Amazon. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Thank you so much, everybody. And here's to 2022. Going to be a great year. Going to be full of so many more movies. And next week, I've got Jay Con coming on. We're going to be talking about the Oscar nominations as they're released on February 8th. Breaking down what's nominated, breaking out what should have been nominated. I'm sure I'll have a lot of pig comments on that one because... I think this movie should have been nom- should be nominated for tons of stuff, but I don't think it's going to get nominated for anything. But that's a conversation for the next podcast. Anyways, love you all. Thank you all for listening. See you later. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.